Hi, everyone. You are now listening to A Colorful Review, the podcast for book lovers. I'm your host, Jeremy. And you all, this is the first episode. Like, oh, I like one, I can't believe I'm doing this because I definitely procrastinated a lot on this idea and just like the execution of it all. And then two, a big middle finger to imposter syndrome because they're imposter, imposter. Wow, Jeremy, imposter syndrome. I swear you all, I graduated. I have a bachelor's degree. Imposter syndrome because there is room at the top for everyone. And then three, it's my birthday. Like I am just on top of the world right now and I appreciate you all for tuning in. But welcome and if you didn't get a chance to listen to the trailer a colorful review is a podcast where we talk all things books writing and storytelling and my goal with this platform is not only to review some pretty amazing books but create a safe space slash no judgment zone that encourages people to find themselves through reading and by creating a healthy coping mechanism of getting lost in a book and kind of keeping the wisdom and the knowledge and just the the energy and the spirit or whatever you find in books but like keeping that with you as we all like journey through life and whether you can finish a book in a day or you absolutely can't stand reading this podcast is for you or you know eventually will be for you once I open your eyes to some pretty dope books and some pretty dope authors However, before we get into the episode, I just wanted to give a quick background about how I came up with the name and and why I love to read and etc. But I discovered my love for reading at a pretty young age. Um, Growing up with a single mom, we didn't really have a lot of money for entertainment. So our library down the street from our house was our form of entertainment. So we will always go there. And at a very young age, I was introduced to Junie B. Jones. And despite her being white and me being black, that was the first time I really saw myself from like saw myself in literature. And from there, I've just kind of continued to foster this hunger for reading where, you know, I'll get like five or six books. And literally in the back of my mind, I'm like, uh, Jeremy, you're only going to get to two of these, but it's whatever. And I definitely was that girl that we, you know, would hyperventilate when the scholastic book fair would come to school but nonetheless when I got older I noticed that a lot of us who were active readers when we were younger kind of lost that joy as we got older and so this podcast is also just a journey of taking us back to that joy and love we once had for reading and the name really speaks to just the variety of books that I read and it's actually kind of all over the place like I am some days like you'll catch me reading Artemis Fowl or or Harry Potter and then the next day I'll be reading like some love story or just bell hooks or just some like it's all over the place but it's colorful and then also really describes my personality very animated very bubbly which you'll see as we go along this podcast journey but hopefully this background encourages you to stay but if not I hope you find your way back to me but with all that being said let's get into the book I'm kind of debating whether or not I want to call each episode like chapter one because I'm like what if I get to 200 episodes it's like chapter 200 seems a bit excessive but let's get into the book of this podcast children of blood and bone by Tomi Ediyemi okay If you know me personally or follow me on Instagram, you probably already know my obsession with this book and the author for like almost a month on my IG stories. Every story was centered around this book and how dope it was and how the author literally snatched my edges. And then when I found out that she was the sister of one of my favorite rappers, Toby Lou, I was like, this 
this can't be real. Like this, this is nothing but God. But that edge snatching author is Tomi Ediyemi. I first discovered her and this book when my LS tagged me in a video on Facebook and she was doing an interview with Jimmy Fallon. And I had never really seen authors on Jimmy Fallon, let alone this black, beautiful brown skinned dreadheaded woman and she tagged me and one of her friends was like oh we should read this but I don't think she knew that I was about it about it because literally the next day I went to the library which was nothing but god that they had the book because in my local library it sometimes feels like they only buy like one book for five counties to share which is ridiculous but that is a different podcast for a different day. But I started reading this book and could not put it down. And I literally was at work on my lunch break reading the book instead of doing my work. And everyone was like looking at me like I was crazy. But I was like, Mm-mm. like no, this, this book is too bomb. I'll get back to my work when I get back to my work. But when I tell y'all that Tommy Ediyemi put her entire foot into this book, sis put her entire full two feet into this book. So Tommy Ediyemi is a 25-year-old Nigerian-American author who graduated from Harvard University where she studied English literature. And during her time at Harvard, she received a fellowship to El Salvador, Brazil, where she studied West African mythology. And it was there that she discovered the idea for the book. And she was, she said that she was standing in a bookshop to save herself from getting her hair wet, black girl problems. And then she saw like this entire urethra, um, probably Eurasia probably saying that wrong um but she saw that and for it was the first time that she had seen african gods and goddesses and she was just amazed and fascinated by what she saw and instantly she saw this world and and the magic but it wasn't until eight months later that she found the idea of her story so it really just kind of shows you the creative process and how sometimes like you'll have an idea but it really won't come full circle until like months and sometimes even years later but the cool thing about this book is that it really hit on modern day black experiences and has served as a model of representation for black people that they too can be goddesses and heroines in literature now i want to make sure that i'm reviewing the book but also not giving any spoilers because i do want you all to go and read it as i want my sis to get her coins but i'm going to keep it as neutral as possible so we're going to start with the synopsis of the book the characters and then we'll move into the the themes presented in this book and what makes this book colorful and then also you know I am obsessed with music so I do have to give you all um, some music to pair with this book. So the synopsis of Children of Blood and Bone is set in Eurasia and on the front cover of the book on the inside it is a map of Eurasia but you definitely can see that it resembles Africa but um, in that country magic once thrived but due to the king and his unnecessary ruling he wiped out magic completely from the country and the people who held this magic were called diviners and Zele our protagonist she is a diviner but she also lost her mother during the wipeout and that kind of haunts her throughout the book which you'll see in various parts of when she's just like talking with herself internally or when she's faced with a challenge she's just always thinking like what would her mother say or what would her mother do but after running into Amari who is the king's daughter at a market Zele finally has a chance to help bring magic back to the kingdom and she is like a little scared at first and she doesn't really bang with Amari because I'm like uh like this is your dad so what is like what are you really doing out here but eventually throughout the journey they do come together and they really do bond and create 
this special sisterhood. And then also along on the ride is Enon, who the king, that is Amari's brother. And the king tells Enon, like, yo, like, your sister's wild and she took the scroll. And the scroll is the thing that holds the magic. She took the scroll, you need to bring her back. And so he gets pulled along in the journey. And then also Zele's older brother, Tanzan, gets pulled into the journey. So it really is just about... Um, a young group of people trying to bring magic back into the country, into the kingdom, but also kind of dealing with their own personal battles themselves. Now, Zile is our main character. She is the protagonist. Um, the interesting thing about uh, Zile, which I never thought that I could relate to someone so much at a time in my life, but she kind of lives in fear and anger a lot because of what happened to her family and just losing her mother at such a young age and how she kind of had to figure things out herself because she didn't really have a woman in her life. But then another thing that um, really helped me to relate to Zelay is she definitely had feelings of inadequacy and imposter syndrome. And I know where I was currently at the time in my life when I was reading this book, I definitely was dealing with feelings of imposter syndrome or just like not feeling adequate enough, even though I had all the tools and skills I needed, which is what Zelay had. Like Zelay, in these moments when she was doubting herself, Zelay had everything that she needed to succeed. But when you're living in fear and when you're living in anger, it's sometimes hard to see that and to see what other people see in you. And that definitely was seen throughout the book when Zelly would have certain doubts. Like it was one moment where she lost something super important. Again, not going to give any spoilers, but it was a moment where she had lost something and she felt horrible because so many people were depending on her. But one thing that I did like is she never let people know. So so even though she had lost this thing, she didn't tell anyone. She literally was just like, okay, we're going to keep it going and kind of keeping up that facade. So kind of pushing through that inadequacy and imposter syndrome really was interesting to see how Tommy uh, played that out in the book. And then another thing about Zelly, she's very headstrong, but she is super impulsive. Um, which I can relate to as well, but there were moments in the book where she would do things and that's what her brother was always arguing with her about. Like, you just don't think like you're just doing this and that. Like, um, when the guards came to her house and she said something smart out of her mouth, um, and it just went bad from there, but you can read to find that out. But definitely the headstrong with the mix of impulsiveness was, um, interesting to read. Not, um, I mean, I feel like we all can relate to like the impulsiveness, but Zelle was just on a whole different level. And another thing about her, she was very short tempered. Um, and you can see this a lot in the interactions with her and the Prince Enon and their little special moments, which we'll get into later. But she definitely would just say he would say something stuck out his mouth and she would just go like super angry, like chill, like sis, relax, like it's it's OK. But that is Zile, the main character. Next is Amari. She is the princess of Orisha. She is the king's daughter. And the reasoning that kind of inspired or I guess moved Amari to steal the scroll and flee the kingdom is that she witnessed her best friend die like her dad literally cold-blooded just like beheaded the girl and I don't know what Amari was doing around there looking but she saw it and that kind of like freaked her out but I think what really freaked her out was the fact that in that moment she found out that her best friend who side note was a slave 
So it's kind of like, is that really a friendship friendship? Or is it kind of like your daddy's paying me or not really paying me, but I'm forced to be your friend. And that's something that is interesting to explore. But she found out that her friend was a diviner. And when they took her head wrap off, they saw, so diviners have gray hair and it represents their magic. And so when she saw that out and her came and then her dad was like, what the heck? And killed her Amari just couldn't take anymore so she took the scroll and left but throughout the book you can really see how different her lifestyle is obviously from Zele but she really lived a life of luxury but the thing that she was dealing with internally is that she was criticized so bad by her parents and they were super strict and she was living under just like very overwhelming rules um and then it wasn't until she left the palace and she really realized the impact of the injustices that were caused by her father and just seeing how so many people were suffering but you know behind her wall she doesn't see that like she just sees you know riches and and money and servants waiting on you so that was kind of a cultural shock to her and especially when her and Zele finally meet up and she's like okay I guess you can come on this journey with me like whatever um and she just really like Amari and Zele did not get along it was mainly Zele just really not wanting to be bothered and just kind of still harboring the anger she has from her dad killing her mom but eventually like they do um get to like each other it takes them like a handful of chapters until they finally bond and create that sisterhood. But there was like one moment in the book where they were about to start the journey um, to getting the scroll back um, and restoring magic. But, you know, Amari is still in her dress and she's still like very luxury. And then Zelly was like, sis, you gotta get rid of that because ain't nobody got time for that. And then another cultural shock was when Amari realized that like, oh, so we're sleeping outside on the ground. All right. This, this is interesting. But Amari really did kind of come to her own at the towards the end of the book because one thing that was really interesting was that she it was when her childhood and it shows how like your childhood can still have a, an effect on your present but in her childhood she was tasked to fight her brother um and her brother literally like almost whipped her to death they were fighting or, or jousting or whatever and he literally almost whipped her to death and from that moment like her dad always called her weak and would just always talk down on her when Amari knew that she had the strength to fight back but she didn't um so kind of facing that fear head on and really going after it instead of running away from it she really uh blossomed towards the end of the book Enon is the brother of Amari he this this young man this young man was very very uh interesting to say the least but once you got like once you get deeper into the book you can see why he is the way that he is and also you can see the toxic impact that his dad has had on him and one of the quotes that he repeats throughout the book constantly is duty before self and literally what that kind of encompassed was just like being trained to believe that violence is a necessary evil and just kind of suppressing his own emotions and his own thoughts to the point where you know he almost was tasked with killing his sister but it's not like duty for self like it's okay and it's like no like dude like this (laughs) the suppression right now is is not healthy in any way shape or form but the interesting thing about Enon is that he finds out that and is this a spoiler? Uh, this may be a spoiler. 
okay, I'm going to say spoiler alert and fast forward uh, like 10 seconds to the podcast. But Edom finds out that he's a diviner. He has magic. And it's not until he, like, he fi- I forget when he finds out. I have to revisit. But he finds out pretty early on in the book. And he hides it from, like, the soldiers that he's with and just really kind of suppresses the power a lot. But the cool thing about Edom, which when I started to like him, is that his power is that he can influence and create dreams. So the interactions between him and Zele were always in dreams. And they would kind of, like, he would fall asleep and then they would both wake up in this kind of, I pictured it as like a blue or like dark blue background and just like grass just like waving back and forth and they would just be standing there talking so that was a pretty cool interaction that uh Tommy did and that literally is how they would communicate until they finally saw each other in person and then another thing about Enon and Zelly that I like they actually ended up you know liking each other but the love was just like so young and innocent and I'm a hopeless romantic so I I was just over the moon excited when they finally um, kind of expressed that emotion because you could see just how much she would tease him like she would call him a little prince and just kind of like belittling him but it was in a playful manner but that was a cool magic that he had but again he still was suppressing it still not trying to let it be and that definitely was uh, interesting to see and also just how a lot of times we harness and suppress our own power and our own magic when really people can benefit from it but we just don't want to come to terms with it and we don't want to be honest so we just go throughout life just really suppressing a lot which isn't healthy finally we have Tanzin. I feel like I'm pronouncing that wrong but he is the brother of Zele he is you know the older brother but also kind of just like her protector because their dad is around but he's super old and can't do as much as he did when he was younger and then also kind of still being affected by the loss of his wife and trying to move forward after that. But one thing that I liked about Tanzan is that he really did practice empathy throughout the book and he was super compassionate. And that was really seen in the chapter where Amari first comes on the journey with him and Zele and how Zele is just like, nah, I'm not banging with sis. Like her dad is trash, which means she's trash. I don't like her. She can go to the dogs for all I care. But Tanzan was kind of like, no, you know, like she is a person too. She just witnessed her best friend die and, you know, all this other stuff, but really kind of separating uh, Amari's dad's injustices from Amari and realizing that she wasn't like her dad and that she was trying like her going on this journey was her trying to correct her dad's evil past and kind of separating herself and realizing that she wants to be better than that and that she wants to become more than that and I really loved how the relationship developed between him and Amari because of that and they also kind of had like a little bit of romance not that deep but it was like a very playful like you're young type of thing and it was actually funny how they were like in their own little relationship and then uh Zele and Enon were in their own type of relationship but when Tanzan found out about Zele and Enon all hell broke loose and he was upset he was like you're just being irrational and impulsive I'm like but you're you're talking to Amari so let's make that make sense but um everyone else kind of had their own personal battles but I don't really think that he had one I kind of feel like 
I think his battle was just him protecting his sister and just trying to keep her level-headed because there were points in the book where he was just like super annoyed how she didn't really think and she wasn't irrational. But I kind of would like to see that maybe in the second book, kind of like his own internal struggle and his own battle because the book is told from the view of Enon, from the view of Amari, and from the view of Zelly. It's very rare that we hear from Tanzan. So that would be pretty interesting just to see what his role was like being the male figure and being the protector of Zelle. The second theme in the book is duty to family versus self, which I kind of hit on when I was talking about Enon and who he is as a character. But one thing that was really apparent in the novel is just how strong the connection between family members are and how it can be seen when each character is struggling with learning how to prioritize their own needs over those of their family. So for example, with Zele, um, her priority was protecting her family at all costs because of what happened in the raid. And she just always felt like she was letting her family members down and was just constantly losing faith in herself and believed that she wasn't capable when in actuality she was capable. And then with Amari and Enon just kind of really battling with the demands from their father to put aside their own needs for the kingdom and just highlighting how the obsession with being faithful to family over protecting yourself and advocating for yourself can be really, really toxic and harmful. And then just the power of forming new families outside of your blood family and how it can be healthier than sometimes the blind commitment that we have to our own relatives and how you really can form a strong connection while still prioritizing your own sense from right and wrong. And just how personally and in our lives, we feel like, oh, no, well, that's my family. Like, that's my family member. But then we'll have people who aren't even related to us by blood that literally are like family and that show up like family. And I was really glad that um, Tomi kind of hit on that in the book. The last theme was faith and tradition. And this is something that's really important to me as a, I am a Christian but just really highlighting on how faith is and how oftentimes people reject it due to the harsh realities of everyday life and how, you know, we'll go through life and we'll experience something really, really traumatic. And we're like, well, if there's a God, why is this happening to me? And that is seen when Zele rejected her faith and believed that the gods didn't exist uh, because they took her mother away. And the gods are what the diviners base their power off of, the diviners and the magi. And she didn't understand why they would allow such suffering and why they wouldn't save her. And she didn't believe in protecting the gods and and worshiping. And she kind of just relied on her own strength to save and protect her family. And this also can be applied to the Bible verse. I'm probably getting it wrong and I probably should have looked it up. But it was kind of like lean not on your own understanding, but lean on that of God's. And I mean, of God and just really when we feel weak and when we feel depleted, just really praying to God and, you know, getting on our knees and just asking him to give us the strength that we need. And it also kind of hit on the fact that faith can be a source of great comfort, but it does require a part of, you know, being committed and sacrificing. And Zelly did not want to do that. She did not want to make such a deep commitment when she was just witnessing everything that was going on. And we see her kind of let go of that mentality in desperate moments when she had to perform blood magic to save people. And she literally had to sacrifice herself and she was just left, you know, depleted physically, but it was necessary for her to fulfill her purpose and for her to 
save people and that was really cool how she kind of it was like interesting to see just the journey of her not really having faith but then her realizing that faith is what she needed to survive and what she needed to push through and those basically are the three themes that stuck out to me in the book definitely encourage you all to read over that and maybe in the show notes I'll kind of include the chapters that really highlight the themes just so that you all can follow along and kind of make the connections. Lastly and my favorite part of the podcast is what made this book colorful besides the characters and how real they felt and the themes and just the way she painted the picture for us as readers. My favorite part about this book was the author's note at the end of the book and how personal and trans parent she got I'm just going to read a little bit of it but she basically said I shed many tears before I wrote this book many tears as I revised it and even as it sits in your hands now I know that I will shed tears again although riding giant lionaires and performing sacred rituals might be in the realm of fantasy all the pain fear sorrow and loss in this book is real Children of Blood and Bone was written during a time where I kept turning on the news and seeing stories of unarmed black men, women, and children being shot by the police. I felt afraid and angry and helpless, but this book was the one thing that made me feel like I could do something about it. I told myself that if just one person could read it and have their hearts or minds change, then I would have done something meaningful against a problem that often feels so much bigger than myself. And that basically just sums up my entire love that I have for this book and how powerful writing is and storytelling is and how we literally can take everyday experiences and put it into a book and how people from various walks of life and various ages can relate to it. And I think that's pretty cool about reading too is how when you're in the book and then you you know see certain things that the character is going through like whoa like is the author watching my life right now like what is going on but definitely encourage you all to read it love it if you don't love it you know that's you're missing out but hey every everyone can come around eventually (laughs) as I said earlier I can't let you guys go you know without giving you some music so the music that I feel like best goes with this book in regard to just kind of painting the picture for you and really kind of putting you in the time is actually the Black Panther album by Kendrick Lamar and you know that may sound very cliche but that was an amazing album and then just kind of like listening to the beats and the the sounds and some of the lyrics it really does kind of just help tell the story more and honestly this book has been compared to Wakanda I know we're kind of like using that phrase a little bit too much nowadays but it has been described as a kind of like Wakanda-esque type of vibe but definitely listen to that album after you finish the book or while you're reading the book kind of like play it in the background lightly so it doesn't distract you from reading but that is the music that is paired with Children of Blood and Bone and if you do like the music and you feel like it really does help paint the picture let me know on Instagram just like tagging me in it or leave a comment and let me know what you think well that is all i have for you all this week thank you so much for tuning in it really does mean the world to me if you like what you heard please subscribe please rate please leave a comment it honestly would just make me feel less like i'm talking to myself on here and also if you do happen to have social media make sure first that you follow the instagram at colorful review pod and then also post screenshots of you listening 
to the podcast and let me know what you thought or don't. It's up to you, but make sure that you all tune in for chapter, still deciding if we're going to do chapter two or whatnot, but um, it'll, it'll be, you know, we're, we're going to work it out. But until next time, this is Jeremy and thank you for listening to A Colorful Review.